Pudge. The nothing personal word of the day is Pudge, as in Pudge Rodriguez, as in the reason I have a World Series ring and the reason why I had the greatest year of all time in 2003, because this man chose to be a Marlin and took us all the way through San Francisco, through Chicago, through New York, all the way to a Samson sit down. You've got Pudge. Hey, Pudge, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing, David? Good to, good to see you, and thank you for having me on your show. Oh, it's, it's absolutely our pleasure. We talk about you a lot. People ask me all the time about 2003, and I want to talk about that. That's only one part of your career, though. I want to start with the Hall of Fame. I got to go to the Hall of Fame to watch Andre Dawson get inducted. I could not make it to yours. How Was that to you when you were playing? Did you know... How early did you know that you were going to be a Hall of Famer? Well, I get I, I get this question a lot, and basically, you don't, David, you don't think about that when you when you pretty much uh, play in your career. I I always I always think to myself that I always want to stay healthy. I always want to do my best day in and day out, on and off the field, obviously, and make sure I'm. I've been great with the uh, with the media and fans, and basically that's a that's very important. You know, I, a lot of fans and people doesn't know that all this has to be all in once. You know, it's not only playing and and play great years and 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 winning awards. You have to basically uh, pretty much uh, be good with the fans, be good with the media. Always there with the media obviously with the owners and all the uh, people that works in the office, coaching staff, all that has to come in once to be a Hall of Famer. But but not David. I always uh, thinking about doing my best day in and day out every year. And then at the end of my career, yes, I will start to thinking about, yeah, 21 years and, you know, 14 Gold Gloves, World Series, uh, winner, uh, you know, all-stars and MVP, all that stuff. But at the end of the year when I retired uh, uh, here, which is I played my last game when I was wearing uh, the Washington Nationals uh, uniform, my last game that I played was with the Florida Marlins here at the at the ballpark here in Miami. And so after that, you know, I took a year off and then I will start thinking about the uh, the Hall of Fame, all the rumors start to come out on TV. They put you be a first ballot Hall of Fame, and there you go. Rumors, yeah. Pudge. You're a first ballot Hall of Famer from start to finish. You know that. Did you meet anyone during your induction weekend, a, a former Hall of Famer who you had never met before? Uh, well, yes. I I always have a great relationship with Nolan Ryan, and Nolan Nolan Ryan and I uh, obviously he. He worked with the Texas Rangers at the time as a president of the of the of the Rangers, and basically he was uh, he was telling me he was one of the guys they always telling me that they are I'm going to be our first ballot uh, Hall of Fame, and and basically he just told me that you know it's, it's a great place to be. Obviously, it's only David is only one percent in the history of baseball. Just think about the name of baseball and it's only 1% of the of the players that plays in the big league can be a hall of famer in Cooperstown and I'm one of those guys so I'm really really happy to be part of that 1%. Was Johnny Bench there when you were inducted? Yeah, Johnny Bench was there obviously. Johnny and I have a also great relationship by the way he lives here not too far from me here in Boca. And we come, we stay in contact uh, ourselves together. Uh, I always call him to see how he's doing. He basically fishing all the time. He's always in the ocean, mahi uh, mahi. So that's what he likes to do. Take care of his boys and go out and fish. And uh, he always invited me to go out there, but I prefer to go play golf every day than go out and and fish a mahi mahi. You know, Pudge, when you were with the Marlins, Tony Perez, who you obviously know, we would watch all the games together. And Tony, part of the Big Red Machine, had Johnny Bench as his catcher. And he always judges every player according to the Big Red Machine. 
right? Because those were the best of the best. In 2003, we're watching games and I said, Tony, you know, Pudge is better than Johnny Bench. And before the season started, early in the season, he said, no, you know how Tony be? No, no, no. By the end of the season, I said, hey, Tony, Pudge is better than Johnny Bench. He <laughs> said, yeah. Well, you know, I, I appreciate that from you and Tony, but, you know, look, he's my favorite player growing up, okay? And I watch, I watch Johnny Bench uh, games when the Red Machine was uh you know the era of the of the of the red machine the tony pete rose all those guys there and uh basically in puerto rico that's the games that we watch uh, a lot you know we watch a lot of cincinnati games and a lot of detroit tiger games and i always love to watch a uh, lance Paddish also so but to me uh i like the way that johnny was behind the plate he was so so relaxed, so smooth behind the plate, receiving the ball very, very soft. And I was trying to copy basically what I was playing, playing literally. I was trying to copy the way that he, uh, the catch. So, you know, we both become Hall of Famers, but uh, I'm not going to lie to you, David. Every time we we go to Cooperstown to the ceremonies, I was telling you, still my favorite. You're still my favorite. And he said, but now nah, you already you already have the most goal blocked by a catcher. He said, it doesn't matter, but you're still my favorite player. And so it's, it's everything different. We all both different. We play in different eras. He always, he was a little different player than the way I play the game, but both. The good thing is that, David, that both would respect the game 100% and we both play hard. You did something that Johnny Bench didn't do. I want to play a quick game with you. What did you do while catching when you were upset with what a pitcher had just thrown? If you didn't like the pitch that your pitcher had thrown, you didn't like the location. If there was something about a pitch you didn't like, what did you do? Throw the ball as hard as I can back to the pitcher. As hard as you could. <laughs> Folks, I hope you heard that clearly. Pudge Rodriguez is famous for a lot, 14 gold gloves, the World Series, et cetera. When you're watching a game that Pudge is catching, we as executives watch the game a little differently than fans because we're looking at different things. We don't know more, but we watch it a little differently. And we would always know when there was an issue with our pitcher because Pudge would get the ball and I crap you not, folks. He would throw the ball back to the pitcher faster than the pitcher would pitch it to the catcher. And I was watching with Larry Beinfest because when we signed you, we had never had you before. You were brand new. And you were doing that during spring training in Jupiter. And we had young pitchers crying. They were so nervous that they were upsetting you because you'd whip the ball back. And I'm so glad that you answered that the way I remember it because you were famous for that, but very few people know it. Well, I, I, I didn't throw the ball as far as, you know, the pitcher back. I do throw the ball really, really fast, but I never, I never try to throw the ball hard, you know, below, you know, be, below the belt or, <laughs> or something. I, I always throw in the ball really hard right over here, chest high. And, uh, and I knew, I knew that some of these young, talented pitchers that I have that year was going to be mad at me because they never, they never see that. But at the end, but at, but at the end, I wanted to do that because I want them to learn, you know, to be a great pitchers, uh, to become a man right away. Knowing because I knew that, that the talent was there. Thinking about this, I was having AJ Burnett. Uh, you know, Josh Beckett, Brad Penny, all those guys at the time, they all was really, really young. And uh, at the time, they basically great, talented uh, pitchers, but they was a throwers. You know, they was throwing the ball to home player at the time. It wasn't the, the there was, wasn't yet the pitcher that I, that I thought that they're going to be. You know, they started doing that later on during the year, but in the beginning of the year, when I start to catch them in spin training, I can tell that they just wanted to throw the ball as hard as they can. 
to home play and they was all over the place. And that's what I'm on, that's what I start to instead of the screaming or yell at the at the pitcher during the game, I prefer just to throw it really hard to the pitcher so I can send the message. I want to give an imitation, Pudge. That way he knows that something is going on. There are people watching this on YouTube and there's people listening on Apple or Spotify, but I'm going to do an imitation for you because you're looking. There was a pitcher that you had. I'm not going to tell you on which team, but it could have been ours. He would take the ball and you have to watch me do it. He would whip it. And after he would throw the pitch, his head would go back toward the scoreboard, throw the pitch back to the scoreboard. Who was that? Oh my God. I catch, I catch so many, but I, I think that was a picture that's been struggling, I guess. Brad Penny. Well, Brad always Penny. cared. Brad Penny, God bless him. He started, he helped us win a world series. He cared well, about the Raiders. I don't think so. I don't think that, I don't think so, David. I think he was a really aggressive. I think this is what Brad Penny was so good because he never afraid to throw strikes to any any hitter. And obviously, when you throw strikes, you, you, you're going to get people out or you're going to get hit. But he's not going to walk anybody. And if you see the if you see the average of walks through those years, his walk was very low because he's a strike thrower. And sometimes when you do that, you're going to you're going to leave a lot of pitches right down the right down the middle. And when you throw 98, 97, 98, 99, right down the middle, you know, sometimes you're going to get hit. But I think he did a great job with me. Uh, one of the uh, one of the guys that I love to work with was with him mm -hmm. uh, because I like the way that he pitched. He he has so much uh, intense passion in, in his game. Like he wanted to compete day in and day out so hard and do the job. That that's what I really love to see him. And that one of the guys that. That I have a lot of arguments. A lot. That year, that year was with him because obviously a young, a young pitcher, uh, a lot of a lot of adrenaline doing doing pitching, and obviously in the dugout get mad a lot. And sometimes when you when you do when you have all that stuff at once, it's going to be hard to deal with. But he can tell you. I mean, he's, he's a nice kid. I was worked really good with him, but at the same time, he learns a lot from me and become a good pitcher right after I left the the, the Marlins. They all did. Who was your favorite pitcher in your career? Who you my, who you received? Who would you say? I, I uh, twenty one years in my career, David. I I catch so many great pitchers. I I have to tell you that I play. Three years with Nolan Ryan late in his career. Uh, that he, him and I, we worked so good. Me behind the plan, and he was pitching, and we we just connect really, really quick since the first start. You know, uh, Nolan Ryan, fastball pitcher, power pitcher, loves to pitch inside. Me, ag aggressive catcher, loves to call fastballs in to the hitter. So we just. You know, we just clicked really, really uh, fast and really quick. And it was great. It was great three years that I played with him. Uh, Josh Beckett, uh, Brad Penny, uh, AJ, I catch AJ a few times before he got hurt. Uh, Justin Belander, Kenny Rogers, you know, Bobby Witt. I mean, Kevin Brown, name, name, I mean, name it. I... I've been behind the plate with a lot of great ones uh, that pitch this game. And who is the biggest I, pain in the ass, Pudge? Who is the pitcher who shook you off the most and you just could not connect with? No, well, I I don't think it's not connecting. I think it's more kind of like uh, they wanted to think different. And basically, I want to go through what I'm already saw during the game, I probably have a lot of, a lot of, you know, in on and off with the relievers. Is the reliever they wanted to come and 
and just throw the pitches that they think that they that they wanted to throw. And sometimes it's not that way because relievers, the name of the reliever says, you know, you come, but I'm I'm the catcher that I'm being behind the plate. I've been back there for six, seven years. Don't come over here and shake me up in something that I that, that that you need to throw because I need this pitch. And so sometimes some of the some of the relievers I don't like to say names because it's just been support. It's been so far, you know, so long ago. Just but, say, uh, is it Ugeth Urbina? Is uh, it Urbina? No, Uge throws everything up and down. <laughs> I didn't know he knew the signs, though, Pudge. Anyway, but anyway, just kind of like uh, the relievers are probably the hardest uh, time of the game for, for my expecting uh, part of my game behind the plate that, you know, that I have to work with them. Because sometimes they wanted to throw a pitch because he has a feel for it, but uh, sometimes it's not the pitch that I wanted to that I wanted to use because the situation or or the score of the game, innings, things like that happens. Can you bring me back to 2003, please, and tell me what went into your signing with us? I, I you know the story from our side, which is that you were not signed yet, and we came to a one-year, ten million dollar agreement in '03. Tell me what was going on in your head before you chose to agree to our deal, and then once you agreed, tell me how that went. Well, you know, I think it was, uh, was a meant-to-be year. I mean, to be honest with you, meant-to-be with the Marlins, uh, I think that was the, you know, the, the blessing that I have to stay home that year and play uh, and be in my house and spend time with my kids and, and the family and live in my house. But I think that, I have to say that, that the offseason was tough. Uh, it was the the year of uh, baseball. Is, baseball was going through some problems uh, with the with the with the union and uh, and the and, and major league baseball things like that. And then things went a different way. But uh, I was able to sign, and I think it was in January uh, with the Marlins and. You know, I took a positive look. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna sign one year. I'm gonna do my best, but I did the, I did what every player likes to do: just go through the, go through the whole team. And when I saw the 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 pitchers and I saw, you know, they're talented. They are. I just wanted to stay there and, and do the best for them because, basically. I was the only player that you guys signed that offseason. You guys bring the same ball club back from the year before and just add me as a catcher. No, and that's not. Hold on. You sound like the media in Florida. That's not totally true. I think we just lost you, Pudge. Hold there on. you go. Yeah. Uh, we actually brought in Juan. We traded for Juan Pierre that year. Juan Pierre. Juan and Pierre. we signed Mark Redman to be in the rotation that year. The lefty. the lefty Mark Redman. It's okay. funny you don't remember him. The starter of game seven of the yeah. LCS in Chicago, who we gave that big lead to. And then he gave up a home run to Kerry Wood to tie the game in game seven. But don't worry, I've forgiven Mark. So we had made changes, but we had a very low payroll. We thought we had some good young players. And Jeffrey Laurie, the owner of the team, said to Larry and said to me in January that, hey, you know, Pudge is not signed yet. And we said, he's never going to sign with us. We don't have the money to give him. And Jeffrey said, here's what we'll do. I'm going to give you $10 million, but it's only for Pudge. And if you can get him done for 10, bring him in and let's just see what can work. So we engaged with you. And at the time, as you recall, there were some issues regarding should someone go long-term with you? You had wanted a long-term deal. There were people in baseball dumb enough to think that you were not at the top of your game. You remember all of this. Right. And so we were the beneficiaries of the stupidity of the 29 other teams. And Jeffrey stepped up and said, do it. We signed you and it was not received well because the media in Florida said, oh, the Marlins still stink. Their payroll still low. 
And I remember when you came in the first day of spring training, you met the media, and I've never forgotten this over my whole career. You said that you were happy to be home, but it was more important that you actually thought we could win. Exactly. And, and that we, was and, and we did that since day one. And uh, we did that since day one. As soon as I, I arrived in Jupiter in, in training, uh, you know, I was start to, you know, put everybody together, put the, the whole pitching staff together. And basically we did that. We did that. It was a, it was a, challenging year for us as far as of uh you know the way that the you know the way it started you say it, the media and all that bring me in but they they asked me a bunch of questions why 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 the Marlins why you play here and and you say right because I think I have a big feeling that this is going to be a great team and we're going to win here but also I just you know feel like I want to stay kind of like home and be with the with the family. So we start the season. Obviously, we didn't start the season well. We start losing games. And, and uh, first half of the season, basically, we we finished uh, 10 games. I think it was 10. Yeah, 10 games under 500. And then the second half, we, we start the season in Cincinnati. And uh, we, the players, did a team meeting. And uh, we start winning some ball games, and then we went down again, and then we we did a, another meeting, and then that's what we everything uh, took off, you know. And I never I never forget this, and that's how how you win game. It's not a it's not only baseball only, but I got a, I got a story to to say because during that year uh, we we have a ten day road trip. The start that we live from here, and we flew from here to Oakland, California, to Oakland, and then we was playing. Uh, no, we started in San Francisco, Oakland, and then Arizona. And and Jeffrey said, "Look, if you guys win two games, at least two games in each of the first two series." I will promise that I'm going to stop the plane in Vegas for five hours, <laughs> right? I'm going to stop the plane in five hours. And we was very excited. Well, five hours and, and, and there, and then we go to Arizona, which is, was a, a, a day off after that Sunday. So we end up losing all six games in San Francisco and in Oakland. And we just got on the plane very frustrated. And then 40 minutes later, we saw the, the, the engines of the plane, you know, went down and the plane started to coming down. So he stopped the plane, no matter what, he stopped the plane in Vegas. He was having three bus for us. He exactly bring us to the uh, uh, Villaggio, I think he was. It the was Villaggio, the Villaggio for five hours, say, this is what you guys are. Get out of the bus, go, enjoy, do whatever you want for five hours, and we're gonna meet here in five hours and go back to go back to the plane and leave. So, so, so we did that. <laughs> we did that. Yeah, we did that. And uh, and David, after that, everything was another story. I mean, we just we just start to play. We just start winning, and we just start doing things on the field that. I look to my teammates and I'm like, can't believe this. I can't believe this is this is going on. Games that that we losing, uh, that we losing by uh, by five runs in the night and scored seven that inning against the best close, some of the best closes in the game and inning, and win the wild card two weeks, a week and a half before the the regular season's uh, over, but. Those things are the things that that I never forget because you know he did something that bring us into something different as as a ball player. You know when you have when you have an ownership like that and you have an owner that say, "Look, those guy needs to have fun for a little bit and let's see what happens after that." But what what happened after that that we just start to win ball games and make the playoff. 
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So, Pudge, the story with that is that Jeffrey had said to me and Larry, what can we do here to try to change it up? Because we have to talk about the managerial change that happened, which we will, because that was part of 03 as well, when Jack came in on a Sunday and didn't know anybody's name. But he, he said, what do you think we could do? And Larry and I looked at the schedule and we knew we had an off day in Arizona and Larry and I love Vegas. And so he said, hey, and Jeffrey hates Vegas, by the way. So we said, we have an idea. Why don't we have the team plane stop in Vegas? It can be quick. And Jeffrey said, only if they win four out of the first six games of the road trip. So we said, Jeffrey, we have to plan. So we can't just decide two days earlier. We have to file the flight plan with our charter company. We have to arrange with the Bellagio so players have rooms if they want to go to a room. And we have to arrange for buses in Las Vegas. We can't do that in one day. So Jeffrey said, you can plan it, but they better win four out of the first six. Did it. We did it. <laughs> we lose, we lose, we lose. So I called Jeffrey and said, but what if we sweep? Then we've won three in a row. I think we should still stop. And Jeffrey said, fine, if we sweep, we lose game four. Jeffrey, I think we got to get out of this. If we can just win the last two, let us go to Vegas. He said, you better win the last two. We lose game five. We call him again. He's like, this is bullshit. You're not going to Vegas. I said, Jeffrey, we're going to win the last game. I promise you. And you guys had no idea. You didn't know it was going to happen, not happen. The game ends and we lose. And I call Jeffrey like this. I'm like, Jeffrey, what do you, what do you want to do here? He's like, we suck. I said, I know. It's not I, I know, I know, yeah, we suck. But, but can we go to Vegas? He's like, fine, but we better win games. And so yeah. Jeffrey gave the go ahead. And when we landed in Vegas, it was unbelievable. When we got back on the plane, the stories that we all told each other of what we got done in five hours, one of the great team building moments that I was ever a part of, the greatest I was ever a part of in my career. Yeah, absolutely. You couldn't yeah. win four games, Pudge? That's all you had to win, four games. Well, well, guess what? We didn't win any <laughs> there. But after that, we just went to uh, Arizona. And we are... I, totally different team and after that was history i mean everything just like take off uh, we all start hitting and pitching and make plays and then we made the playoff and and what we did in the playoff was amazing you know facing facing the giants and beat the giants in in four games and 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 i think for me what bring us into the loop of winning the World Series was that first game that we win in San Francisco. You know, it was a cold night. It was a 40-some degree a night and loud. And, you know, all these orange towels all over the ballpark. And we end up scoring runs early. And we just completely silenced the whole crowd down. Remember, and that was game that two. Was because yeah. we, we lost game one to just yeah they get yeah the game yeah the game two and, and in a five game series you only have to win three so if we didn't win game two we had to beat Bonds and the Giants three games in a row so game two was critical what to you if you go back over the entire playoff run tell me your top memory of a play you were involved with over the wild card the LCS and the World Series what's the number one play in your mind that you were a part of. Well, 
Yeah, obviously the famous play at the plate on, in, in game four, you know, the base hit, uh, the Oogie was the pitcher and Jeffrey, Jeffrey Hammond was the hitter. And, uh, and it was a base hit to left and Conine threw a perfect throw uh, to Ming home play. And, and, uh, and that was the, the, the hard hit happens. And I keep the ball in my, in my hand and win the ball game. But, I think that whole series. I think that the the you know the game the game the night before we went to extra innings and I hit a base hit to right field a two to run end, base hit to, to win run, the game two RBIs to win uh, uh, to win that game too and extra innings. Uh, but to me, you know that that series was a a, a really fun fun series to the whole team and for myself. You know making. Great plays, uh, you know. The great thing about our our playoff was that the, the one and two in the lineup that we have Juan always Pierre and Luis always on base. They always on base, always always on base. One pier leading off, stolen base, Castillo, Castillo moving over, and then I, you know, either I got either I hit a base hit or or fly ball and. And we did that really quick in the playoff. Uh, we did that. We actually we lost the first game in San Francisco, but that game we start one to nothing right away in the first inning. There, even though that we lost, same thing happens. It's the second day, and pretty much in all the all the playoff game, we we always we always have those two guys on base all the time. We, you know, baseball's changed now. We're now the best hitter generally hits second because of analytics. You were the best hitter in our lineup, and we hit you third because we had speed at the top of the lineup. And we thought that always one of Pierre Castillo would be on base for you and then for Miguel, et cetera. And if you remember game one of the World Series, before the fans in New York could sit down, Pierre gets on, steals second, Castillo sacrifices him to third, and you hit a sacrifice fly off David Wells, one nothing Marlins in game one of the World Series. And the Yankee fans had not even sat down yet. And no. we were up one nothing. And that's a formula that was used. <laughs> that was that was, that was good that you bring that out because we did that to David Wells in seven pitches. In seven pitches that I remember that I remember that very very well in seven pitches. He was he threw seven pitches and the game was one then another. Pierre base hit, get him over. Me in the in the third pitch of the of the bat fly water right field, one then nothing. And then from all that noise and all that crowd it was crazy. We bring it down back into their seats. And then that was probably the reason that we end up winning that that game because that was important for us to win the first game in the World Series in New York. Do you remember the Bartman game, game six of the LCS against the Cubs, Mark Pryor? I do, I do remember that really well, but I see, I, I feel sorry for him, but me basically to me, he wasn't, he wasn't the guy that did all that. I mean, it was a really, it was a, a normal fan, they tried to get a souvenir, you know, towards him, and he just put the glove, and it happens. But I think what was the biggest play of that game? Let's say the together basic, on three. Basic between the leg error from Alex uh, Gonzalez. Alex Gonzalez. Not our uh, Alex was, Gonzalez. The two shortstops in the 2003 LCS were both named Alex Gonzalez, and the Cubs shortstop made an error on a double play ground ball hit by Miguel Cabrera that they didn't even get one out from. It was a double play ground ball and he muffed it and the inning continued in a way that it shouldn't have. And the other thing about that game that people don't talk about, but you did after the game is that Mark Pryor earlier in the series in a game, the Cubs were winning easily. Dusty Baker left him in the game and he had over 110 pitches in that game. And we couldn't understand why, which is why during game six, you said to the players, just hang in there. Pryor's going to get tired. Pryor's going to get tired. And you told Mike Redmond that. Mike Redmond told me that during the game when I was panicked in the clubhouse in the seventh inning. And he said, don't worry. We are going to get well, I told, I told, I told all the guys that, that stay with them because 
by the by the seventh inning or eight, he was already close. Yeah, in the ninety, around ninety pitches. And I tell him, stay with them because he's going to start hanging pitches. Stay with him because he's going to start hanging pitches. And basically, that's what he did. He get himself behind the count. His elbow, he started to bring his elbow down. All the fives will start to running, you know, up, up and in, up and in. And I said, he's tired. He's tired. So he's going he's gonna to go back down in, in miles per hour. So from 90, 98, 99 that he was early in the game, he went down to 93, 94, and that's what we get him because he got tired. I said, stay with them because he's going to start hanging some pitches, and basically that's what we did at the end. So you sign with us in 03, and then a few months later, you see Miguel Cabrera join the team, who's a rookie who you may or may not have heard about. He was a top prospect, but he was a kid. He was 20 years old. Dontrell Willis joins the team as well. I want to talk about Miguel because in five years after he retires, Miguel is going to be another first ballot Hall of Famer. Absolutely. And I want to know what your vantage point was in 2003 looking at Miguel. Obviously, what he did against Roger Clemens in the World Series, hitting that home run. His first game as a Marlin, he walked off with that dead center field home run against Tampa. Did you know before I did that he was going to be going to Cooperstown? And if so, they why? David, I knew that I knew that since I met him in spring training that year. He was part of our our you know our players in the beginning of the uh, spring training. He was there for three almost 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 into the end of spring training. And he was playing games with us. You know, uh, I remember that Jeff Torber was putting him in the in the lineup in spring training and 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 the and the swings and the way that he plays because he he played multiple positions and that's one of the things that that I like to see from him. He played great third baseman, great outfield, great left field, and his bat was tremendous. But the one thing that amazing me from him the most was that he was hitting to the other side. I mean, to to right center with power, with some power. And and to me, I just thought I don't remember, but some of the guys in 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 the bench, this kid is going to be amazing. This kid is going to be in the big league uh, soon. So we call him up uh, late in the year. I think that was when uh, Mike Lowe got hurt. I think he was, and he, and we put him in. We, he put we put him in third base, but. You know, all the games that he plays, it looks to me like he's been there for 10 years. He never put any pressure, any pressure on himself. He he played the game, relaxed. He was enjoy, and he was the player that I saw in spring training, what he can do. He will start to, you know, to hit for us. He got some big, big uh, winning hits for us late in the year, and and unfortunately, when the playoffs start, he started the playoffs, you know, and I'm, I was sad to see Mike Lowe not playing in the playoffs, knowing that he did so much for us during the year. But unfortunately, he got hurt, right? He got hurt late in the season, and Miguel was the player that, that we, you know, the Jack McKeon at the time. Well, we got, he, don't for, we, we traded playing. for we traded for Conine the day Mike Lowell got hurt. He got hurt at the deadline, August 31st. He got hit in the hand and broke his hammock bone. And so we traded for Conine and Miguel moved in to play third and Conine went in to play left uh, because Miguel was that young, but that able to play different positions. He had never really played outfield. And when we called him up, I spoke to you in the clubhouse. This was in June. And I said, you know, we're thinking about calling up this kid. He's going to be good. We can't start his clock until June, but service time manipulation, but we're going to call him up. But we've asked him to play the outfield. How long does he need to play in the outfield in the minor leagues? Because Jeffrey wanted to know how much time he needed to practice outfield in the minor leagues. You told me, get him here now. He'll be fine. I don't think, I don't think he plays any innings in, in the minor leagues in the outfield. He just... He, 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 I, think, right here. I, think, I think we just give him an outfield glove and he plays there. He did a great job right away. He got some, he got some great plays, you know, in, in, in left field. So 
athlete is athlete, talent is talent. So he's he's a very talented player, and that's why he plays in some good in so many positions. Pudge, you said something about the way Miguel plays, which is he was a gap-to-gap guy with power. He would go the other way. He would take what the pitcher gave him. Remember the hit he got on an intentional walk when he actually swung at an intentional walk back when there were intentional walks? I want to talk about baseball today. In the news recently was Gary Sheffield, who was a good player, a Marlin who won a World Series in 97 with the Marlins, who says he doesn't watch baseball anymore because he doesn't like all the strikeouts, the walks, everyone getting down on the knob and trying to hit home runs where home runs don't matter the way they used to. What do you think of today's baseball game and and the rule changes that are happening? Tell me where your head is on those things. Well, I I watch baseball, but baseball is not the way that we play in our era. Uh, It's totally different. I I believe that... uh, analytics are to me a little a little a little too much it's just for me personally it takes the they takes the ability of these players away because you ha- they have to go with what they tell them what they tell them to do you know some you know starting with the catcher and now the pitcher has it here and read and and the outfield is putting taking some notes out and, and see it and all that and put it back in. And then you see the iPods and the iPods and the dugouts and all that. And that, and to me, you know, I respect the game today, but I think I like to see the, I would love to see this young talented player play their game a little more. Uh, this, uh, this uppercut, swing that they that they're teaching in baseball today I don't know about that I never I'm never a power hitter and I don't like to talk about myself but I I was a a gap hitter and I end up with 311 home runs in my career but I wasn't a power hitter I was a line drive hitter I hit the balls in the gap because you don't look for home runs to me, home runs is a is a good swing and it's a sound with no feel in, in in the back. That's a great swing. But if you go out there and look to hit a to hit a home run, to hit a home run, you're gonna strike out, you're gonna strike out more than a hundred times every year, and your batting average is gonna be way, way low. And that to me, it hurts. It hurts sometimes because some of these players that wanted to hit home runs, they wanted they, they, they preferred to hit 40 and hit 200 for the year instead of the, they hit 280, 300 and 30 home runs is a, is a very, very good year for these players. But with all the respect for the game, I think uh, it's a little too much. It's different. It's not the same it's not the same baseball and I see it I see the I see the games and 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 it's it's, uh, it's sad to see all this uh, all this information in front of in front of the cameras after on the field you know I'm thinking about the rule change where they're going to make the bases bigger and I'm thinking about the fact that you were able to throw everyone out. If people don't know, you don't get 14 gold gloves by not being the best defensive catcher in the history of baseball. And no one would run against you. And our guys, our pitching staff in 03, they were not that good at holding runners on at all. But the reason why teams didn't run against us is because of you and your arm. What kind of impact do you think the larger bases are going to have? I mean, that, to be honest, David, that's a good news for me. I didn't know that. I didn't, oh, that's I, a real change. They're looking I, at making the bases like an look, inch or two bigger, which will make the snap snap plays at first base on a ground ball to short, the bang bang plays. Look, they're going to go to the hitter. That, I, look, I think David baseball should be back the way the way they should be, the way they, it was uh, before. Look, we play back in our days that we, you know, I got hit a million times behind the plate. And look, I'm still talking to you. I'm fine. I'm good. All right. Uh, a lot of 
slides and second base, try to break a double play. Uh, all this stuff uh, that there's there's not there anymore. Trust me, fans missing all that. I mean, the running game is not in baseball anymore. No one steal bases anymore. No, I mean, it, it could be it could be the fastest guy in first base. He's he doesn't go anywhere. He stay right there because they want they want the hitter to hit the ball four hundred feet. I mean, it's just kind of like uh, different. I mean, baseball should be played the way. Like you know, bunting, then move the move the guy over from second base to third base, steal, hit and run, all these plays that makes the game more excited. Because if you if if we go back to that game, I think it's gonna be more fun to watch. To be honest, I mean, it's it's, it's fun to watch right now. Don't get me wrong, but they take so. They take so many things out of the game, like which is the things that I just that I just told you that they need to see. I would love to see that more in today's game. So what's interesting is that the rules that are being changed are trying to get the game back to the way it was back in the day with you playing. And what they're doing by making these changes, including maybe moving the mound back by a foot, making the bases bigger not letting pitchers throw to first more than once in an at-bat so the, the, the runner has an opportunity to take a pretty big lead knowing that there can't be a pickoff attempt. All of this is being done to try to make the game more fun and exciting for younger people to watch. The problem is with money. Owners pay players, unfortunately, according to home runs hit. Not stolen bases, not getting the runners over, not hitting in the gaps. And therefore, agents tell their players, don't worry about striking out. It doesn't matter. Try to hit home runs because that's how you're going to get paid. And that's our fault as owners, although I'm not in the game anymore. It is the fault of the arbitration system, the free agent system. And I think that baseball trying to change these rules, what they're missing is they have to change how players get paid. I would like to take money away from players who don't get the runner in from third with under two outs. That should be like you're down $1,000. If you get the runner in, you're up $100,000. Try to motivate because now when there was a runner on third when you were playing, Pudge, that, like when Tony Perez was playing, when you were playing, that runner is scoring, period. Well, well, David, I, I think probably I have a I have a comment on that to you as a, as, as a player, as a player. Basically, all these big contracts it happens based on the performance of the recent years, like the year before and the year before and the year before is accumulate of years to try to get the big uh, contract. That's why, you know, six years when players goes to free agency, that's what they make uh, their, their, their money. I don't, I don't think it's not necessary to do that. Just punish all this because baseball anyway, you can pay whoever. You can pay $20, $25, $30 million. Let's, let's put it this way. Best player in baseball today, $440 million contract, Mike Trout, okay? But guess this as math, okay? You have Mike Trout plays every day, right? And he's, he's making, I don't know, $40 million, something like that. I don't know how much money he made. God bless him. So, Matt in baseball is 162 games. He's going to end up having 600 at bat, no matter what. If mm -hmm. he if, if he's not get hurt, and if he hits 200 hits out of those 600, is 333 batting average, and on top of that, is 47 and 120. But Mike Trout is still going to be 400 times out. So it doesn't matter how good you are. You're going to fail more in, the, in this game. But look, it's still 400 times out. But the power number, that's what the owners pay 
to watch, right? 47. That's 47 hits, by the way, okay? 47 hits out of 200. Out of 200, all right? And maybe those home runs are, in, you, you can include there maybe, I say, 50 rebies, 60 rebies out of 47 hits. I mean, so that's what I'm trying to explain to you that, you know, players deserve to get paid because baseball is not easy. They're going, they're going to be out there and play hard. They're going to be there and play hard. But at the end, you know, baseball is a grind. Baseball is a challenging sport. It is not easy to hit this thing. Comes a hundred miles an hour to you. It's the hardest thing in baseball and you did it so well. I want to show everyone who's watching on YouTube. What I'm wearing right now is the ring that Pudge got for me and for everyone else. Where is your World Series ring? Final question, Pudge. Where is your World Series ring that I'm wearing that I know you have? I got, I got it up here in my room. <laughs> I hope that you look at it and smile because I look at it every day and I think about the times we had and it was the greatest year I ever had in my professional career. And I'm honored to have been able to share it with you. And Pudge, I just want to thank you for doing the Samson sit down today. And uh, you are a Hall of Famer. You're the greatest I ever saw. And again, the pleasure is mine. Thank you, Pudge. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, man. All the best for you and your child. Thank you, Pudge. All right. We'll see ya. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.